You're listening to Dynamo's Dozen. With your host, Ian the Dynamo Kelly. Cleveland and welcome to Dynamo's Dozen, the podcast that I bring you each and every single week where I will talk about whatever may be on my mind from pro wrestling, sports, entertainment, music, movies, muesli, fresh socks and jocks and everything in between, never forgetting the talk. And you're all very, very welcome back to Dynamo's Dozen once again, the show that I will be bringing you each and every single week. And today is the day. It's a Saturday morning here in beautiful, sunny Dublin, May 25th, 2019, a historical day in pro wrestling. AEW makes its pay-per-view debut to the world. And who better to join me? Than Finn Martin from Inside the Ropes that's seen it all in pro wrestling over the last 30 years. Finn, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me back. Yes, 30 years, that makes me sound quite old, doesn't it? But I, there again, I am old. And I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you've lasted as long as me, well, you should shout about it. You know, you should shout it from the rooftops. Ah, well, you still look like a young man. You're all good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess, like... Like, it is a pretty historic day because, I mean, the last time we talked, we did kind of have a little bit of a chat about AEW and we did mention to people that we were going to do the show closer to the time. What better time to do it than on the actual day? So um, thanks for taking the time out because I'm sure you're pretty busy. But um, in terms of everything that you have seen in pro wrestling over the years, um, this this has got to be right up there. And even though the show hasn't happened yet, but it's got to be right up there in terms of um, anticipation. Yeah, I mean, it feels big, doesn't it? it does. I mean, I think, I mean, a lot of people are already making predictions um, that are premature. They're getting ahead of themselves. Sure. But I mean, I think that's really indicative of the amount of enthusiasm people have for this company uh, and their desire for change and for something different to be presented to them and for something different to really be presented on a large scale, which we know All Elite Wrestling will be on a large scale, as you mentioned, there's the pay-per-view tonight from Las Vegas. Uh, They've announced a TNT deal that's going to be starting in the autumn, in the fall, if you're listening from the States. Um, So, I mean, it's going to be a two-hour weekly live program i believe is that what you've heard as well Ian? yeah yeah that's 100 percent what i've heard yet yeah, it's going to be yeah. live yet yeah. so i mean that's huge um i believe that tnt are going to be our turn is going to be paying the production costs yeah. and then they're going to be splitting the ad revenue so that's pretty good deal and i think that's as good as it's going to get for a new promotion um, I mean, people might say, oh, well, it's not as good as WWE, which is receiving hundreds of millions of dollars each year from its TV partners. But all Elite Wrestling's brand new. WWE's got, you know, it's been around since the 60s, you know, in its yeah. various forms. Yeah. So um, so it's like, I think that was as good as it was going to get. I think that's a really good start, like 30 million. I think they reckon the, um, the production deal's worth. I'm not sure what the ads are going to be worth. Uh, but it's obviously going to be millions on top of that. So, I mean, I think it's a really good um, basis for them, really good foundations. I think they really are set up to succeed. And when you think a lot of promotions in the past, TNA in particular, which launched um, June 2002, I mean, they were swimming upstream from the start. They had really no behind them, no TV. They were a new promotion that was launching on pay-per-view. I mean, it was overly ambitious. 
Um, but I mean, they thought that they had a win in hand there, and obviously, well, hey, you know what? They're still going to Impact Wrestling. Yeah. But I mean, they lost a lot of money, and if Dixie Carter's family had not come in later in 2002 and bought in, then the company would have been finished within three months. Um, but I mean, you look at all Elite Wrestling and what they've got, and the people behind them, the money that's behind them, uh, the people they've already signed, and it, it does feel like it does feel like it's going to work. That's my interpretation of it. What's yours, Ian? Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much, just to add to that, I agree with everything you said. Um, I mean, even if you think back in our day uh, when we had the alternative was WCW, we could only get the opportunity to watch the Nitros on a Friday night on TNT once the Cartoon Network finished. And that was a three-hour show then, but they've actually already opened themselves up to the second biggest market for them, which is the UK, with the ITV yeah. deal as well. Um, so, I mean, that is huge for them as well. So, i got to say, they've done an amazing job in laying the foundations before jumping straight in to the battle. Um, it feels like a Game of Thrones thing where they've been really prepared for winter and um, <laughs> they're set up, you know, to use an analogy <laughs> that's pretty relevant yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. So, hopefully, hopefully it will be uh, uh, more, received more favorably than yes. the final season of Game of Thrones. But then again, Game of Thrones, final episode, drew like the biggest number ever. So it's still a huge success, so regardless there, of what its fans think about it. <laughs> if we get there, I mean, personally, speaking from a personal point of view, um, I'm really excited for it. Uh, even though it's not WCW, it has that kind of feel because you've got guys like Cody involved. You've got... Um, you know, Khan involved, who was a very, very big fan of, of you know, old WCW, Crockett, Mid-South stuff as well. Um, so there's wrestling people involved. The people involved are actually wrestling fans, so they are going to give an alternative. So I do enjoy that aspect, and I hope that, um, that they... I mean, the main thing, Finn, I'm sure you will agree with, and we've heard Jim Cornette say this um, recently, and I think Jim Cornette's on the money, with this network deal, there's not going to be any room for any of this kind of nonsense, you know, that we've seen on some of the indie shows and some of the stuff they're able to get away with in Japan with too much comedic stuff, you know. Um, there's not going to be any dick suplexes or wrestling blow-up dolls or, you know, you know, selling for nine-year-old girls. If they start messing around with that kind of thing on the TV deal, I think it will close itself off to a lot of the... Uh, the wrestling skeptical audience, um, so which I don't think they will do, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, I mean, for you know, that was well in that was deep in Kenny Omega's past, was it? Exactly. Wrestling Chico, the blow up doll in DDT, and the yeah. and the girl. I mean, that was I don't know, was that ten years ago? Now it's a long time ago. It is, and to be honest with you, I'm I'm just you know I know they're not going to do that. It's just more of a thing. That's the only way I could see people not taking it seriously, which I don't think will happen. You know. Yeah, I mean TNT isn't going to stand for Joey Ryan and um, and you know all these dick based stuff. Yeah. I mean that's no way that's going to be on a PG show. No, I mean I'm sure everyone's smart enough to realise that. Um, and the the styling themselves aren't they as a sports sport based wrestling company. Exactly. Uh, that's going to be their approach. Is it's going to be a more of a serious approach there's yeah. no doubt about that um, i mean my fear of it is that it can't be cliquey and that's the problem with the elite and if you watch those being the elite uh youtube videos it all feels a bit cliquey and there's a lot of in jokes there yeah and they can do some of that but they can't do too much of that because if you're trying to appeal to a broad audience if you're going with a lot of in jokes that people aren't getting it's going to be lost on people and they're just going to think well what's this i don't understand it it's got to make sense to everyone it's got to be, you know, to use that phrase that's been used a lot in politics lately, it's got to be a broad church, hasn't it? It's got sure. to be something that's going to appeal to a lot of different people. Sure. It can't be really cliquey. I oh, know, I agree. I agree 100%. But look, it is huge. It's huge for wrestling. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get back to that. One thing I wanted to mention. Um, Can I just add one more thing in? Sorry, just go ahead. You, uh, you mentioned about um, the WCW thing. One thing that uh, All Elite Wrestling has done that WCW never did was they have an event on pay-per-view in the UK. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, WCW never achieved this. I mean, I know back then, 
obviously pay-per-view it was kind of different because um i mean wwf ran obviously the one night only in september 97 that was their first uk only pay-per-view and they did a few others but they didn't start screening their regular u.s pay-per-views on sky box office until royal rumble 2002 so they Environment was slightly different, sure. uh, but it was, you know, WCW never had a pay-per-view deal in the UK. And with its very first event, All Elite Wrestling is on ITV box office. I mean, that's Crazy. just stunning. I was watching that drama Hatton Garden. I don't think, was that screened in Ireland? It probably wasn't. I don't think uh, so. No, no, no. No. Okay. Well, it was ITV one and it was like a, a drama that was prime time, nine till 10. And it was on four nights running. Uh, this week in the UK, and during one of the ad breaks, one of the big drama show, they had an advert commercial for Double or Nothing pay-per-view. Wow. I just thought, wow, that's huge. That is huge. Yeah, I mean, that was like on primetime TV, you're having an ad for this pay-per-view, and I thought, wow, these people, they are connected. These people are, are going all in, pardon the pun, on this. Oh, I couldn't agree more, man, and it is... It is super exciting. I mean, just to go back, I mean, I had to, um, anytime I wanted to see WWE pay-per-views, it was months later by getting the getting the VHS through Power Slam, actually, um, with, the, with the ads for the, the, the UK-based um, distributor. So yeah, that's Silver, Silver Vision back in the day, wasn't it? Silver Vision was WWE. I think WCW had their own one, didn't they? They had a... Uh, well, actually, WCW did at one point, but then uh, Silver Vision, even though this was... I'm for sure most people kind of knew this, but Silver Vision also got involved, and they uh, they were distributing WCW, oh, really? WCW VHSs as well. Oh. I'm not sure if WWF was too happy about that, but they saw a gap in the market, and they knew what they were doing with wrestling. Exactly. And most people didn't. Most most companies didn't really understand wrestling um, and didn't know how to market it, whereas Sil- Silver Vision obviously did. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, no, hundred percent. That's a really, really good point on the on the pay per view thing. Um, I guess just to kind of um, you know take it down a little bit and just to kind of I guess more of a, a tribute thing. Um, two days ago marked obviously the twenty year anniversary of Owen Hart. Um, at the Kemper Arena, um, not to specifically talk about the incident or anything like that, more as a more as a tribute thing. Um, it's still, I guess, if anybody has listened to um, the new JR podcast, I think it's Grilling JR with with Conrad Thompson. Um, I don't mind giving a little plug there. Conrad has appeared on the show and done stuff for me, so that's fine. Um, yeah. But it was um, really, really difficult to listen to, actually, with um, JR kind of reliving the moment and, and hearing the intricate details and the ins and outs. So I'm not going to make that this show um, about that. Um, I don't want to sell the show based on a, on a tragedy. Um, but more so, when you think of Owen Hart, I mean, what, what are your, some of your kind of fond memories of, of Owen Hart uh, matches? I mean, you, you would have seen a lot of it live and in colour. Um what do you think of Owen Hart's legacy? Um, to, I mean, to me, yeah, obviously, re- really sad. Yeah, as you say, twenty years ago, I still remember it. Um, I mean, I didn't watch the Over the Edge show live. I think I just finished the magazine. Yeah. Uh, and I was in bed at the time, and my my girlfriend she she was listening to the news. It was on the news the next morning. She came upstairs, Finley. You know, Owen Hart's died. I was like, God help us! I couldn't believe it. It's just like, and it was just, yeah, really just. Just everyone was affected by it. Everyone was. Definitely. People just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, and to this day, it's still hard to believe it happened. Really, really is. And yeah. you know, for Inside the Ropes, we review twenty-year-old episodes of Sunday Night Heat, oh. uh, and also we, uh, we we they review uh, Kenny and Sandra. They review Raw, and Kenny and I, Kenny McIntosh, that is. Uh, we review Heat, and we also review pay-per-views. So in the timeline. Uh, we actually reviewed the pre-over-the-edge episode of Heat this week. So in the timeline, he's still with us, Owen Hart. Yeah. And it's just become, just progressive, just become progressively sadder and sadder, knowing what's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something we've been bringing up over the last few weeks. And um, yeah, it's still still incredible to me that it, that it happened and just really sad. But as far as Owen Hart's legacy... I mean, I think the first matches I saw of his were... Pro- I actually probably saw him when he was 
um, in the UK because he did some matches that were televised over here yeah. back in the back in the old days in his very early days as a wrestler. Um, and some of them were, were like just seemed years ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, you know, he did stuff uh, for Tri-State Wrestling. He had like a famous match. I think it was with uh, Izuka, sure. who was then presented as like a junior heavyweight. Um, I think that was a match they had that was very well reviewed. I remember seeing that on VHS. I remember him coming in as a blue blazer and people were, I mean, people saying, oh, it's Bret Hart's brother. I was like, oh, is it really? And and I didn't really know if it was or it wasn't. Um, and I don't think I'd seen any stampede stuff at that point. So I didn't really know who Owen Hart was. I always felt the blue blazer was a character that could have gone further than he did. And he was kind of presented as, not as a jobber, but really as a sort of a guy that put over stars. Sure, uh, sure. So then he disappeared and then he came back again. Um, and I always remember, you know, the, the, the storyline of him and Brett falling out. Yeah. And obviously that happened uh, at Raw Rumble 1994. Yeah. They had the match there and uh, and then Owen had to go backstage and he had to do the promo and he blew the promo. And you're like, oh, no, this is your big moment and you blew your promo. But then he got to WrestleMania 10 and that match, and it's just like, wow. And then Brett put him over clean, and you're like, wow. And then at the end of the show, Brett becomes champ. Owen Hart comes out in the aisle, and you're like, that's the next feud. Yeah. And it was just old. I mean, obviously, it, that's it 25 years ago, so it all seems very old school now anyway. Yeah. But yeah. it was just real basic logical booking of creating a star with a star, so that the star that's on the rise, star that's on the ascent, can then be see, viewed as a credible opponent to the established star. And WWF did like really good house show business with Bret and Owen after WrestleMania 10. Uh, WrestleMania 10 did well on pay-per-view also. And it really felt like Bret was off to a tremendous start. I know this wasn't his first reign as WWF champion, but it really felt at this point like he was ready for it. Yeah, You know what I mean? Uh, in a sense, he wasn't because then Diesel, you know, Backlund beat him and then Diesel beat Backlund. Um, but it just really felt like a huge time to be a fan. And it felt like things were changing, that Owen was really going to become this top star. Um, to me, he never really was a top star. Yeah. But he was a, a really good performer who was very dependable. You could put him in there with almost anyone. I mean, I always remember his match with Vader from One Night Only. Uh, that they made that work despite the size difference. Yeah, yeah. And sure. just real, real basic psychology there of the whole thing of just a real, real old school thing of him going for the slam. Then he goes for the slam again. And I think it was on the third attempt, finally he got the slam on Vader. I think that's right. I could yeah, be yeah, wrong about that. Yeah. But that was basically the story of the match that he was wearing Vader down. And then he was able to do this move on him that we didn't think he would be able to do. And it was like, wow, you know, and it just popped the crowd. And he was just like a really, he was a guy that just, if you if there was a if Owen Hart was in a match and the match wasn't good, it wasn't Owen Hart's fault. And I think that's about the best compliment you can give a wrestler. It really is. It really, really is. Um, I mean, one of the just to finish on that one of one of the favorite things that uh, of mine from Owen Hart was when he used to go for a pinfall and it would get the two and he would jump up with his arms in the air and start celebrating. Yeah, I just always thought that was so genius. You know, it was something that it was something that I used to try and use myself <laughs> because it and, just makes it was it, something Jericho does, does exactly. as well. He, he used that a lot when he would have the walls of Jericho on. Yeah, and yeah. then the guy would get the ropes, and then he would put his, you know, the referee that would tap him on the back, you know, to release it, and Jericho then start celebrating. Yeah, and yeah, then he yeah. turned around and oh, he's made the ropes. It was. A, it's very much the thing that Jericho did. It probably, I'm sure it actually is a tribute to Owen Hart. Oh, for sure, for sure. But uh, no, incredible memories from from Owen Hart, and uh, you know he definitely will never ever be forgotten in the in the wrestling business for sure. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think the whole double cross thing. I think that really did have a profound effect on him. Definitely. Uh, you know, I think he. I don't think he. Well, I know he didn't really want to return. It was something he did reluctantly. I don't think he was really that comfortable with the direction the company took uh, in 98. No. Uh, but, I mean, you know, he was a real pro. 
I mean, you know, he was a guy who had like good matches with Dan Seven, which is just almost impossible. Sure, <laughs> I mean, unless it's a legit fight, exactly. <laughs> um, so you know, another, real another a compliment there for Owen is that you had like really good feuds there with with all sorts of guys, even the team with Jarrett, uh, and he was, you know, they made just bef- as we Kenny and I have uh, noticed when we've been reviewing Heat, the Jarrett Owen team kind of took a back seat. To Deborah, who became a star of the act, yeah. but they were both willing to do that. You know, they were like, "Well, you know, Deborah's the one who's getting the reactions. People are really into the female personalities right now. Let's just stand back." There's no ego there at all. There's no ego at all, no. and um, just a real pro. Yeah, two of the best in the business. You know, Jarrett and Owen, and uh, you know, I mean, how many people would have been content to just stand back and let someone like Deborah hold the limelight? But Owen was smart enough. He knew. You know, he could he sensed the wind of change. He knew what was happening to the business. This is what people wanted. Uh, and he was there to take a back seat to her. She was out front. She was the star of the show. Uh, but him and Jarrett were there to um, to put the matches together, to uh, to create that backdrop for Deborah to be a star, which, you know, is, an, again, huge praise for Owen that he was willing to do that. Uh, and he was somebody that was it was not really about him. It was about putting on, it was about making whatever he was involved in as good as it could be, whether he went over or not. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, moving on from from that, and as I say, it's it's um, you know it's it's a it's a sad topic, but we'll move on to I guess probably also a sad topic in a in a funny kind of way. Um, Jim Ross obviously now with the shackles of WWE um, released, released freed. exactly he's starting to you know speak a little bit I think this new podcast Grill and JR is really good actually because you're starting to get some of that all fire in JR and he's coming out again saying WWE basically forgot about him and just left him in the wilderness and now AEW have given him a shot he's also mentioned Recently, I think it was yesterday. Probably you might be able to correct me. Um, that WWE has no wrestling people in creative anymore, and that's what the problem is, basically. Um, just confirming pretty much what we all know. But when it comes from Jr., people listen, I guess. Yeah. Well, they put out that video, didn't they, uh, a couple of months ago inside the writers' room, uh, and they had like little sound bites from all the people on the team. It was, you know, it was it was from I think February or March because Road Dog was still there, and he, I think he stepped down. Was it just that? Was it WrestleMania or just after WrestleMania? Road Dog stepped down from the head right position of SmackDown. Well, it, we know it's been a few weeks since Road Dog has stepped down from that role. So the uh, they did all these sound bites with all these people who work on the writing team, and none of them had a wrestling background, and it was almost like. It was like a badge of honor. No, I'm not from wrestling. You know, I, I worked in TV. I did soap opera. Oh, I did drama. You know, I did daytime. Uh, I did daytime TV. One of them, I forget her name, the, the woman, uh, she actually won a daytime Emmy. There was that story of her turning up at work with the, um, with the Emmy and putting it on the, oh, it on my God. the table. And people like, you know, what's she doing? <laughs> she, you know, Kevin Dunn's wanted an Emmy for, for decades. And here we go, we've got someone's coming in and like rubbing it in his face. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't do that. Um, uh, so, I mean, Mike, well, Michael Hayes is still there, isn't he? Well, he's still there, yeah, but. Yeah. He's still there. Bruce, well, Bruce Pritchard's there. So it's not quite right, Jim, I'm afraid. Well, then you've kind of got two yes men there, so. <laughs> well, if you want to work for WWE, you know, you, you can't argue with Vince. Otherwise, True. you're going to be out the door. And yeah. we've got Triple H there. He's a wrestling guy. He's involved. Yeah. So Jim Ross isn't quite right. I mean, I understand the thrust of what he's saying, that most of the people who are doing the nuts and bolt work, um, nuts and bolts work, they're not, they don't have a wrestling background. So he is right. To an extent, I guess what but there he's are trying, still a lot of wrestling people involved in this process. I guess what he's probably trying to say is that there's probably too many writers now, you know what I mean, for the show, most of which don't have a wrestling background. I guess he's probably trying to insinuate that kind of thing, you know. Well, he is right, but it's been like this for a long time, and there's, you know, there's been a lot yeah. of people, like, I mean, remember uh, Brian Gerwitz, yeah. Uh, he was like raw head writer for many years, wasn't he? 
Yeah. And uh, I mean, and he was. Does I think he now works with The Rock. I think that's correct. I think he does. All oh, right. Uh, I think he does. Uh, I think that's correct, or at least he did do for a while. I could be wrong about that. But, I mean, Brian Gowitz didn't really know what the hell was going on when it came to wrestling. He didn't know who Ric Flair was when he first started. And he was somebody who worked there for a long time. He ended up taking a lot of flack, and rightly so, because he didn't really know the wrestling business, because he didn't have a wrestling business background. Mm. Uh, but there's a lot of people who have worked for that company in a creative capacity for many, many years who do not have wrestling backgrounds. Vince Russo. So I, I don't think this is necessarily a new thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, every time things go downhill, this is seen as the reason why they're going downhill. Sure. Yeah. And I believe things are going downhill because the guy in charge isn't delivering what people want. Yep. And at the end of the day, it all, you know, when I was running PowerSlam, right, there was other people who wrote for it. Um, but at the end of the day, if that magazine wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, it was my responsibility as the editor and publisher. Much like so if to, I don't get people you know, listening is, to the show. This is Vince. It's up to Vince to get it right. Yeah. And if it's not if it's not delivering what people want, and I would say most of WWE's product right now isn't measuring up to the standards most people expect from it, certainly since WrestleMania, it's really up to Vince to remedy that. Um, and I think pointing fingers at people underneath isn't the solution really to the problem. That's my opinion. What no. do you think, Ian? No, I fully agree. I mean, for Vince, he's probably loving the fact that he doesn't always get blamed. Um, I think Vince has always been a great promoter. He's a great salesman. He, um, yeah. Whatever his issue with pro wrestling is, I don't know. Um, but I think his ego is just so huge uh, even at 77 years old, that he won't be... He, it seems like he's gotten more stubborn in his old age because he used to cave and give people what they want, but he knows that you know people generally don't want Brock Lesnar there again as the champion. Um, he knows that they're kind of catering now to the Saudis. and uh, I think, yeah, I think Vince is pretty much... The book stops with Vince, really, you know? Yeah, de definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course it does. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I was just slightly distracted there by Brian Gerwitz's IMDb profile. Uh, but yeah, he's, he has been since 2017 working with Seven Books Digital Studio, which I think is Dwayne Johnson's company. So he's involved in that somehow. Oh, right. uh, but, you know, but yeah, absolutely. It's up to Vince to, to, to I mean, from what I understand, there's tremendous frustration in that company because people see what the problems are. They know what the problems are. Uh, but Vince is still very much in charge. Um, you know, whatever he is, 73, 70, I think he's 70, he was born in 45, I believe. So he's 74 in August. So, I mean, he's, he's very much in charge. The people un underneath him can see the problems, but Vince is so stubborn and resistant to change that he's not willing to change with the times. Um, I mean, he, he was like this in the mid-90s. If you remember, it was not until 1997 when things, when WCW was, um, it had been winning the Monday night ratings war for many weeks by this point. It wasn't really until I think about February 97 that he finally accepted that the product had to change because he'd been doing the same thing for so long. And there was that fear of alienating the existing audience in an attempt to get a new uh, to attract a new audience. Uh, and it wasn't really until I think I think it was the famous Davy Boy Smith versus Owen Hart, actually. European title tournament, European tournament title final. I think it was Owen Hart versus Davy Boy Smith. Does that ring a bell with you, Ian? Not really, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, well. What happened was, around February 9th, they had a tournament for the European title. Davy Boy Smith, as if memory serves me correctly, was the first winner of that. Now, I believe the final came down to Davy Boy Smith versus Owen Harks. This was all their storyline where they were kind of having this breakup, but then they didn't break up, and then it became the Hart Foundation. Um, uh, with them turning, uh, with Brett doing the heel turn at WrestleMania 13. Yeah, yeah. So they were basically on Raw, and they had this really good match. Um, but he did like a poor rating. It just the rating was just dismal compared to Nitro's number that night. And I believe that was the catalyst for change in WWF. 
And that was the moment where Vince realized, no, what I've been doing for years and years and years is not working and we need to change the formula. I believe that is correct. Um, and he's kind of stuck in his ways again now, 22 years later. Um, and we just need the whole formula needs to be changed. And we just need to be a, to me, what WWE needs to do right now, it needs to start Monday, is a rebuilding program, which is what they did in 1997. It took them basically all year before they were ready for things to really explode in 98. But that's what, W's, uh, that's what WWE needs to do right now, is start investing in all the younger talent, coming up with stories that are going to get people over, not giving up on people after three weeks. Uh, listening to their audience, something they claim they always do, which they really don't, trying to decide or trying to work out who can be stars, who the audience is going to support rather than who Vince wants to be a star, i.e. Lars Sullivan is somebody that he's decided is going to be a star. Things are already looking pretty I'm feeling very pessimistic already about Lars Sullivan's chances. It's not really working. Another one that he that he's tipped for stardom, that he's picked handpicked for stardom, Lacey Evans, sure. who actually sure. did better than she had a she had a pretty good night by her standards at Money in the Bank. Yeah. But she's just yeah. not ready for this spot. She's just not ready for it. So she should have been brought in, put in a low pressure situation, and worked her way up the ranks, the old fashioned way. You know, this is a person who needs to be in a five feuds before she vies for the title. Instead, it's like we're bringing her in and we're going to make her a title challenger. And it's just like, well, it's too much too soon for her. Um, and some people can sink or swim in those situations, but most people sink because it's really tough. So I think Vince needs to get back to that, uh, the whole the, the thing of the 1997 model of, of really trying to build acts into stars. Um, and I think if he could get half a dozen acts over stars, that would remedy a lot of the problems. Uh, but they just it's like there isn't that real drive and that real ambition from the company to make new stars. I mean, go back and look at WrestleMania. OK, we had a lot of very popular wins that night, but who really came out of it apart from Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch? And really, by the time you got to the main event, people had had enough. Um, you know, Becky Lynch's moment really wasn't what it should have been because the show lasted nearly seven and a half hours. I agree. But you can look at that show and like little things like the, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. It's like it was all about Braun Strowman versus the Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live guys. Yeah. That could have been used to create somebody, create a star, somebody that could have then challenged for a title and could have had momentum. Same with the Women's Battle Royal. It was like, oh, let's put Carmella over because she's from Staten Island and that's 25 miles away or whatever. And again, it was just like, why is this not being used to reheat somebody? You know, why haven't you made Asuka uh, the winner of this? And why don't you then remind us that Asuka beat Becky Lynch at Raw Rumble so Asuka can now be a legitimate challenger to Becky Lynch after WrestleMania? Oh, no, let's put Asuka in a tag team with Kairi Sane with Paige that's totally an incompatible um, combination. And what's the best, what's the career ceiling right now for Asuka and Kairi Sane? A match with the Iconics, who were just a disaster. So, I mean, the more you delve into it, the more sort of demoralizing it is. It's like it's not set up to succeed. It's kind of in contrast to where AEW is. You know, I mean, they haven't even run a show yet, but they kind of got themselves in a position where all the pieces are in place for this to really become something that matters. And WWE's got tons of talent. And that's the most frustrating thing to me, Ian, is that they've got tons of people in that company that have talent and that want to get on and want to succeed. But it's like the systems prevented them from doing so rather than facilitating that. That's my sorry. Sorry if I went off on a bit of a rant there. (laughs) No, listen, I agree fully with it. I mean, listen, I'm not the kind of guy that's just going to agree with you with everything you say, but I think you're spot on with that one because... <clears throat> you've pretty much done it in a far more articulate way than, than I or many fans could, could possibly, you know, get across. And, and that is a perfect, perfect explanation of what is wrong with the product at the moment. For example, um, you look, it, it feels like Vince just, ha- he just owns you so nobody else can have you and you're just going to do whatever whatever they have for you. Do you know what I mean? It kind of feels like a WCW situation now where you've just got a big roster full of guys, but we've got nothing for you. I mean, what did Finn Balor do to not deserve a push? 
I mean, Dave Meltzer comes out and says he's not over. I think he was proven within about one tweet that he was over. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the match with Lesnar, people were ready for for Balor to become champion yeah. at Royal, Royal Rumble. Yeah, and I mean, he made, my God, he he really really done a good job with that match as well. Um, yeah. the two guys done a good job at that match, um, but it was a great story told. But then, ah, oh, we'll just throw the Intercontinental belt on you and still give you maybe two minutes of TV time and just smile at the camera. Vince's yeah. favorite thing. Oh, you're a babyface, so smile at the camera. That's what people like. And you're saying to yourself, Finn now is 37, you know, not exactly, you know, still in the prime of his, he is in the prime of his career, but these are the years where he's got his best wrestling left. Um, and you kind of say to yourself, the likes of a Finn Balor and the likes of a Nakamura, um, even the likes of an AJ Styles would thrive in an AEW environment at this t- moment in time, you know? Um, You're right. Absolutely, they would. You'd get to see the matches you you want. They would get to put on the matches that they want to put on. Um, and you know, it's not just those guys. I mean, for me, this may be an unpopular opinion, but it's my one. I don't buy Kofi Kingston as a champion. Um, I think it looks hokey. I think the act is hokey. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a very very hard worker, and and it's great to see him get a moment. Do you know what I mean? But. People talk about Finn Balor being too small, but that's how the company have put him. That's what the commentators have been told to say. Finn Balor is actually not much smaller than... If you actually see him side by side with the likes of Seth Rollins, there's not much in the difference. And also, he's about the same same weight, same height as the likes of Dolph Ziggler. He's bigger than Daniel Bryan, and he's bigger than Kofi Kingston. But it just seems like Vince wants to sabotage anybody who Triple H has really put on, you know, put out there as one of his favourites. That's the feeling I get anyway. I mean, it's completely, it's just bonkers. It's yeah. just like, you know, this is your son-in-law. Uh, this is the guy that's presumably going to take over from you at some point. Sure. And like, you know, why are you not working with this person? Why isn't, why isn't, you know, it's like, you look at all the people who've come up from NXT over the last couple of years, and, and it's like, once upon a time, it used to be you used to be really excited. Oh, who's going to be brought up next? And now you're like, well, uh, actually, I would prefer if you just stayed in NXT. Because, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I was thinking about that when it was a superstar shakeup. Like, oh, Shayna Baszler, they need to bring her up, and she's somebody who could just come in and be a challenger to Bailey or Becky Lynch, and yes, it's going to be sure. credible. And apparently, people say, oh, Vince thinks she's too old. It's like I believe is she 37 or she's 38. You never believe she was that old. And who cares if she's that age? Yeah. You know, I mean, she's still got four good years left in her. And, like, why not make the most of that? And she's someone who's coming, who, who can come in. She's not as big a star as Ronda Rousey. She isn't going to be the star that Ronda Rousey was. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that for a moment. But she can come in, in there and she can have a reign. She can put people over. She's credible. She's somebody that people are going to get behind. And, like... All right, her two lieutenants and not main roster ready. But at moments like this, it's like, well, Shayna should be on the main roster. Yeah. She should be in the position that Lacey Evans is in. Yeah. She should be the person that comes out next week and flattens Bailey because, frankly, who really wants to see another Bailey Charlotte match? No doubt that's what we're going to get, but I'm not really that interested in it. No. Whereas Shayna Baszler versus Bailey, it's an entirely new match. That's really exciting to me. And I think that's the sort of match that would get someone like Bailey over, who's still struggling because the character, the character needs some adjustments. For it sure. really, they need to do something with her. And this is another thing about the WWE creative machine right now. It's like not recognizing when somebody is struggling, when somebody's floundering, and offering assistance and correcting that as quickly as possible as a matter of urgency each time, rather than just saying, "Oh well." She'll, she'll just have to work it out for herself or, or, well, we need to spend more time on another video for Roman Reigns or whatever. You know, it's like this is a character, Bailey. You made a champion and money in the bank. Now you need to get behind her and you need to try and work out how she becomes a bigger star than she already is. That's what the machine should always be doing. Yeah, you've got to and attach so the rocket. You know, yeah. it's just that simple. I don't know why they're not doing that because Vince has done this many times in the past Maybe he's just got so old 
and so damn rich that he just can't be bothered anymore. Well, Maybe it's know, that simple. And if yeah. that is the answer, then he needs to go. I agree. I mean, we know, like, and um, you know, this is probably just a little bit of a laugh, but it's not a joke that Vince likes blondes and that Vince likes big guys. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Um, it's always the go-to, and I don't mean that as a tongue-in-cheek kind of innuendo or anything. I just mean that that's kind of what he likes historically, you know? Um, so, but look, I think we spent too much time on Vince and WWE. Um, it's it's depressing me, so uh, let's... <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we've offered some solutions, you know, rather than just trashing it, which, you know, doesn't really get anyone anywhere, really. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's get on to the main topic that we are here to discuss. Double or nothing is tonight. Um, for you, I guess, like I mentioned at the start of the show, 30 years in the business, having you know been around it, watching you know the biggest shows, you've been to a lot of WCW pay-per-views, WWE pay-per-views. On a scale, I guess, of 1 to 10 in terms of um, this particular pay-per-view, where does it rank for you in terms of, uh, I guess, your anticipation levels? Um, well, I mean, I'm sort of the wrong person to ask because I'm I'm old and jaded, Ian. <laughs> no. um, for me, I'm much more cautious now than I used to be, and I have a real wait-and-see attitude towards many things. And I think that's a really healthy way to view things rather than just immediately assuming that something is going to be uh, huge and a game changer and all use all these other phrases that are thrown around liberally um i mean i am excited about it i've been far more excited about events in the past i'll be honest with you sure um, big and the reason for that is to me this is just the start of something this is not the be all and end all oh, yeah, this is just this is just the start of a journey and I'm more about the journey than the bit than the one big show. I agree. So yeah. what I'm what I'm hoping from Double or Nothing is that this is going to build on those foundations that we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, creatively, in terms of trying to create stars, at least. I mean, I'm hoping we're going to have some surprises. Uh, I'm hoping we're going to have a lot of things set up for the following show, uh, and just a lot of anticipation for what's next. So I really see this as more as like. You know, this is the dawn, well, which of course it is. It's the you know, it's the first show. But to me, this is I'm I'm going to be I will be more impressed if they set loads of things up from this show rather than delivering tons and tons on the night in terms of in the ring and just it being this blowaway show. I'm with For me, you on that. Blowaway show yeah. if it's setting up the future. That's I'm, what I'm excited about, and that's what I'm hopeful for from this uh, uh, from this event. I'm really with you on that, actually, because, you know, we saw the big show with the all-in. That was a great show, some fantastic matches. Personally, for me, Aldis and Cody Rhodes is probably um, one of the top two wrestling matches that I've seen in the last five years, maybe. Um, it just had a really old-school match. I think Marty Skrull and Nick Aldis done a great job as well at the, um, the Crockett Cup. So, I mean... We've, we've seen that big show. I mean, All In was that one big show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas this is the start of the machine, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. And I think to get off to a good start, I mean, just for maybe our own little shits and giggles and fun, um, you know, rumoured appearances from John Moxley and CM Punk and various other stars i mean i heard one popular opinion was that moxley is going to win the battle royal because that would then set up a future world title shot which i think makes sense because if they are going to bring in the belt automatically that brings some stardom and legit legitimacy to the um to whatever title match you know they, they decide to go with so i think that's fun i think that's fun and i think that would be a good way to go um, rather than, say, just throwing some random, um, I guess, popular independent wrestler as the winner, just, you know, for the shock value, I think you've got to have a name star um, win that, or someone, you know, with a bit of, with a bit of I guess, drawn power. Um, yes, make the first I agree. Um, I agree. I mean, you can say, oh, well, let's give it, let's give the win to this guy, yeah. and it'll make him a star, but I think it will definitely get more attention if it's somebody that everyone knows. 
And you're right, if it is John Moxley, that's a great gig for him. He's got a lot to prove after his WWE run. For sure. Um, and if he becomes that, then it becomes something that people can fantasy book. Exactly. And that's something that we all love doing. And WWE has kind of not really enabling us to do that as much as we like to. Yeah. Because pieces aren't really arranged in a way that it's exciting. Yeah. As you mentioned, you mentioned before about the Saudi Arabia thing. I mean, we've got this big show coming up week on Friday, isn't it? June 7th. It is, yeah. And it's just all about the old timers. And it's like, okay, there's going to be some novelty value in seeing Goldberg versus Undertaker. But where does it take anyone? You know, we know the cuss coming back for a payday and it's, it's probably not going to be very good. And it's just going to be the spectacle rather than the start of something. Yeah. And as you said, if John Moxley wins this battle royal, and yet the difference between this battle royal and the Andre the Giant Memorial battle royal at WrestleMania, what was at stake in that? Absolutely nothing. In this, oh, there's some, there's a prize for the winner. Yes, a future title shot. John Moxley wins. That's going to attract a lot of WWE fans who will be wondering, oh, where, what's happened to Dean Ambrose? Oh, he's over here. Oh, he's, he's now going to be challenging for their world championship yeah. at a later date. Oh, let's check this out. Oh, we've got to follow this. So that would that would be, I think, a really good move for them if they did give, if they did give John Moxley the win. And this is um, on free. This is on the ITV4 in the UK. It's on free TV, and it it's in, it's not on the battle royal is on their pre-show in the states, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, anyone can watch that. They're not going to have to pay to watch. They're not going to have to pay to watch that portion of the show. That's free. Yeah, yeah. it's like um, it's like WWE say, oh well, this goes to eleven from Spinal Tap, and they were like, where, yeah. where can you go, where can you go from there? Nowhere. <laughs> where I never you thought we'd get this is Spinal Tap reference. Yeah, I tell you, you got to be done. <laughs> um. So yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I guess we're not going to do, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to into. It's not really a, predi- a prediction show. This, um, in terms of predicting the matches and stuff like that, um, unless you wanted to do that. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think I, I actually did. We did some predictions on the uh, Inside the Ropes podcast this week. So, uh, sure. I, I, I'm well, you can, tell you. so yeah. probably I don't need to do that again. Yeah, uh, but I mean, you know, it is a big show, and and it it just feels to me like I'm I'm kind of cautiously optimistic. Well, I am, they're in a good position. I've already said that. Yeah, this they feel like they've set themselves up to succeed, whereas a lot of companies. In the past, were like, how how can this work? Yeah. You know, I mean, remember Five Star Wrestling? Was that yeah. was that last year? And you're like, was it last year? Or was it the year before? I think it was. I last think it was last year. year. Yeah, last it was. year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, and you were just like, how can this work? How can this business model work? And there's been a lot of other companies over the years. You're like, well, you know, I don't see how this can succeed. Whereas AEW just feels like it can. And I feel like the show tonight. I think it's going to be a good show, um, but for me, if they can just create that huge anticipation coming out of it of what's next for this company, that's going to be the home run, you know, to use a baseball analogy, even though I'm not a baseball fan. No, but why not? Why not? (laughs) Um, Well, look, I mean, as I said, it is exciting. Um, For people that are going to listen to it, you can watch it over in the UK um, on ITV Box Office, which can be purchased through um, Sky and Virgin BT um, in Ireland, uh, in the UK. It's pretty much the same, isn't it? And that's right. Yeah, yeah. You can just yeah purchase it through ITV Box Office. Pretty much anyone can get it, really. So if they want, it's going to order it. Yeah, and then obviously from a US listeners, you all... Should know at this stage how to get it, but if not, just local local cable networks. I believe it's forty five forty nine dollars. So I'm I'm behind it. I'm to steal a pawn. I'm all in, um, and I'm sure you are a fan as well. And I guess oh yeah, of course I am. I mean anything, any type of competition, we 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 desperately need it. Fans, we need it as fans. WWE fans absolutely need it. WWE needs it. The entire business needs it. it and I've said this before, that every WWE fan should be wishing for success for this company yeah. because it's going to be really good for the business. It's going to be really good for everyone. And that competition, 
We remember, you know, WCW versus WWF. Had WCW not had Vince on the ropes in 97, he wouldn't have changed. He would have probably just, well, maybe he would have done a, uh, eventually. But it was the pressure from WCW that caused him to reevaluate his approach, his approach to his company. Exactly. And maybe that's what Vince needs now, is he needs something like that to give him that kick up the ass that, that he, he desperately needs it, doesn't he? I mean, I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It's the only, it's the only solution at this stage. So, for me, um, I, I most certainly can't wait. Um, I believe, I hope and I pray that pro wrestling is back on a, on a, on a, a larger scale. And uh, we will both be waiting with anticipation, and I'm sure um, in a couple of months' time we'll we'll come back and have another chat and see how how it's going once the once the TV show starts. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. I think it's October. It's going to start. I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. It's so. I mean, you know, it's a lot of pressure. You know, doing a two-hour live show each week. I mean, that's going to be prime that's time as well. Those guys. Yeah, prime time too. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's exciting, Finn. And listen, I got to thank you once again for taking the time out today. You know, it's a busy Saturday morning for both of us, considering what we do, <laughs> and uh, this being such a huge show. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of contacts, but we'll uh, we'll keep in touch later when the show is on and uh, touch base and um, see what we think of the show when it's uh, as it's happening. I guess, Finn. Yeah, absolutely, and thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I'd love to come back later in the year, and uh, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure speaking to you, Ian. Uh, we always talk about different things here to what I normally talk about yeah. with Kenny on uh, the Inside the Ropes Power Slam podcast. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to come back. And if you want to just shout out there, give a give a plug for where they can find you on the Inside the Ropes and, and when your shows are coming up, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. You can on t- you can follow me on Twitter at Finley Martin. Uh, the Inside the Ropes. You'll find that on Twitter as well. Uh, the Power Sound Podcast is available on uh, Spotify, Podomatic, and is it it's Mixcloud as well, isn't it? So you'll find it on there. So uh, yeah, and you know, obviously, you know, I've done some books as well. Uh, Processing through the Power Slam years, Power Slam interviews, Volume One, Power Slam interviews, Volume Two. They're all available from Amazon, uh, iBooks, and Kobo. So please check them out. Uh, and I think that's all my plugs done. Perfect. Well, listen, Finn. You enjoy yourself later on. I'll talk to you later. And fantastic. This- yeah. You too. Perfect. And for this show, Dynamo is over and out.